Hey, I'm Ben Silverio. I'm Aaron Klein. And I'm Ansel Birch, your host in post. And, and it's time to party! We are not doctors and we don't give medical <laughs> advice. Please drink responsibly. <laughs> oh, I could have done yeah. fireworks. Oh, I didn't even think about fireworks. <laughs> Man. Oh, hi, Ben. I just set off fireworks in my brand new apartment real quick. Hey! It's a light show! <laughs> Someone's dying! <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to episode three, our Lazy River of Edutainment, where we've each picked a technology that's been featured in the 2009 movie, The Time Traveler's Wife. Episodes one and two are also available. Hey, what's up, weirdos, who started with this one? You're my people. Edutainment, yes, give me that. <laughs> Sorry. Edutainment! Party people! Party people love edutainment! <laughs> so we'll be taking you down our lazy river of edutainment. That means it's not really a deep dive. It's kind of a shallow dive. It's kind of a lay in a tube and let the information take you where it goes segment. So, Ben. What hashtag the vibe. Hashtag the vibe, man! <laughs> <laughs> just making myself laugh ben, what did you pick for your piece of technology for the time traveler's wife wait before you answer that so question i just want to start go ahead yes i just want to start by saying it was really really hard to pick technology yes from this movie like for most of it, you don't even really know when this is happening mm -hmm. you know like there are little bits and pieces that like you see a cell phone, you see like really random pieces of technology throughout the movie, but it's so spread out that they're all focused on these two people being creepy at each other. <laughs> so it's, it's really, it's really hard to like see anything around them, I guess. <laughs> the fog of creepy just <laughs> envelops the story. <laughs> Did you have like a short list or what were you thinking? Because I had the same problem. I was like, what the fuck am I going to? Yes. I don't want to talk about vasectomies. I don't want to do that. <laughs> nope. That was on my list also. Didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Another thing on my list was uh, camcorders. Kind of cool, I guess. But, you know, based on some things that have been happening in my own personal life, I'd rather not talk about electronics. Fair enough. I get it. <laughs> the last thing on my list that I almost went with was Santa Claus. Oh, Man, that would have been a good one. Santa, The history of Santa Claus is super interesting because it started in like the 1950s. Right. It's so wild. Everyone thinks that Santa's been around forever it's... and that is not the case. Man. <sighs> it's funny. Listen, yeah, that would have been... Lists, I'm like, oh, wow, there are actually were some really interesting things in this. Um, oops. <laughs> <laughs> but like that Santa thing would have been a very deep dive. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do like, a shallow dive. That would have been a whole episode. Yeah, for real. Yeah, what were some of the other ones that you were thinking of? Uh, the first one I wrote down was Wiffle Ball, because they very briefly play it at the very oh. end of the movie. And it's such... It, yeah. It's at a time where Elba is, like, 10, and so it's got to be, like, two, it would be, like, 2019 in, I guess, rough math of when this movie is, like, sort of set. So it was. It stood out to me as a piece of technology that did not belong in the time that she was playing it, but it's because she was at her grandparents' house who would have probably had a wiffle ball set from, like, back in the 70s. So mm -hmm. I very briefly thought about doing that one. And vasectomies, but I was like, I don't want to fucking talk about vasectomies. <laughs> They're interesting. There's a bunch <laughs> of different kinds, and, like, you can get reversible ones. The fact that in 2009 you couldn't get a reversible vasectomy is also, like, kind of mind-blowing to me. 
That was, it seems like not that long ago. And yet this technology has also evolved. But the one that I finally went with was gene therapy, which I feel like, how do you do a shallow dive on gene therapy? Mostly just because I wanted to explain what the fuck they were talking about that they did not explain in this movie. So I'll be doing a very shallow dive on that. What did you ultimately pick? That is, uh, well, you made a great choice because I also <laughs> wanted to know more about that. And I didn't realize that until just now. Mm. But I went with wheelchairs. Oh, good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Because like in the movie, you know, Henry ends up in a wheelchair and I'm just like, oh, wheelchairs are cool. Mm-hmm. And then I started to think about like when they were first introduced. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my research, I found that, you know, even though Europeans eventually developed like actual working stuff that like people have found, you know, as a method of transportation around 1595 or whatever, uh, there have been really early records that show China and Greece from like the between the 5th and 6th century BCE. So, like, it to me, it was just like, oh, you think Europeans started this thing? Nope, China. We got it. We got that shit. Europe never starts <laughs> anything. We should all know by now that know, Europe right? stole fucking everything from everybody. That's just... That's, it's true. That's what Europeans do. If If you take anything away from our podcast, kids... It's, it should be that. Europeans steal everything. <laughs> so the first wheelchair uh, that, like, the earliest, I guess, that they, they found to talk about was built by an unknown inventor from Spain for King Philip II. Uh, it was, like, real elaborate with arm and leg rests. Uh, it, it didn't propel itself. It required assistance. It's very different than, uh, you know modern day wheelchairs essentially it sounded like it was just a regular throne on wheels yeah. just like a chair mm-hmm. but they were like little caster wheels right they weren't the big ones that we right. think about right so. yeah exactly it's yeah they're yeah weird um in 1655 a 22 year old watchmaker named uh steven farfliffer farfliffer i'm i I'm butchering this dude's name. You nailed it. That's, <laughs> that's how you say it. Nailed Arthur. it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this dude, who was a watchmaker, built the first self-propelling wheelchair, which used three wheels instead of four, plus some cranks and cogs. So it's cool that he used what he knew about watches to to make a wheelchair that moves. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I would never have put those two concepts together, but it does make a lot of sense that someone who works in like fine, like really detailed uh, cogs could figure out how to make that like accessible at a larger scale. Oh, it's so interesting. This little tidbit was super interesting to me just because it's funny about the uh, the stereotypes that we typically have of New Jersey. Um, in, <laughs> in 1887... Uh, Atlantic City used rolling chairs to move people around the boardwalk. And I mean, like, I've been in one of those, like, chairs a ton of times. Like Wally? Yeah. It's funny how that novelty from Atlantic City on the boardwalk 
led to the modern wheelchair, which didn't really happen until 1933. Oh, wow, that's wild. Yeah, it started as a as a well, it didn't start as a novelty, but like part of the history of a wheelchair was a novelty in Atlantic City, which I think is cool. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, good job, New Jersey. You did I, something. I bet part of the reason that they became more ubiquitous in use is because people saw them in that setting and were like, hey, I can put two and two together about how this thing might work in other places. But yeah, it's weird how much of the technology that we use for certain designated things came from like stuff like that. Like you said, a novelty where it starts in a totally different direction. Yep. And then you look at something and go, wait, actually, I can do this this much better thing with this almost identical technology so interesting yeah and you know uh i mentioned modern wheelchairs finally coming around in 1933 uh it was harry c jennings senior and his disabled friend herbert everest who were mechanical engineers who invented the first lightweight steel folding portable wheelchair which is basically the kind that we know today so from the 5th and 6th century BCE to 1933 was how long it took us to get the modern wheelchair. Interesting. Damn. It's wild that there was an idea for the wheelchair for so long and that it took... I mean, I guess that's how technology always works. You have this like really long history of it working in a particular way that doesn't need that like finite change necessarily. And then it's, when it happens, it feels like it was so recent. It's, it's just strange. Technology is crazy, man. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. Good choice, Ben. That was a, a great Thank you. edutainment. A lazy River edutainment. Yeah. That was a really good one. All right, I'm going to talk glancingly. This is not a deep dive. I am not a scientist. But I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of gene therapy because in the movie, we didn't really even talk about this character that much in our episode two where we talked about the movie and our feeling, many feelings about it. But the uh, character that uh, Stephen Treblowski, I think is his, is the is the actor's yep. name, um, who was great. He was like... Ned. Oh, Nina knows God. Ned. Dude, he was so... So good. He was such a great choice for this role. He like fit perfectly as this like bumbly scientist who's like, bro, I'm a geneticist. What the fuck do you want from me? Like uh, their interactions about the the like grant too, I thought were really interesting, but they, they never really explained <laughs> what the fuck they were talking about with the genes. They gave it a name. I didn't even write it down. It was like chrono immunofunct something. I don't know. Chrono for time, basically, is what they were saying, is that he discovered, I'm going to guess, a time displacement gene fucking... Uh, again, <laughs> very unclear. Not explained how exactly this is a genetic problem, other than that it affects his daughter as well, and so is clearly some kind of genetic problem. So I wanted to know more about gene therapy. So one of the things that I found really surprising, I guess now in like a 2020 lens, I didn't realize this, in in 2009, when this movie was released, so even before that, when the book was written in the early 2000s, gene therapy was much more controversial. Like, it's still pretty controversial today that, I mean, stem cell therapy is a part of gene therapy, which is obviously very controversial in many ways. But, like, functionally changing the core of your genes, like, especially now, like, we know about the anti-vaxxer movement is basically the same idea is that you, you shouldn't be making changes to your genes. And like, that's like the, if you actually listen to the reasoning, I believe that's what they're, they're saying is that you shouldn't be like functionally changing people's genes. They're wrong. You should absolutely be getting vaccinated and 
fucking vaccinate your children. But gene therapy is sort of the same thing. So the way that gene therapy works, wait, let me back up a little bit. Let me give you a little bit of therapy, a little bit of therapy. Let me give you some therapy. Everyone could use a little <laughs> free therapy, I think. Mm. Don't you love a little free gene therapy? Uh, let me give you a little history about it before we get to the way that it's was used in this movie and then now is used today. So the first paper on gene therapy was released in 1972, but what is a little um, unusual, I guess, to me today as somebody reading these kind of papers is that in 1972, the paper was released with caution. And so they said, like, here, we think gene therapy is possible. Here is the idea that we think that this is going to be able to happen. But in the paper, they were like, we really discourage people from doing this. We don't know enough about it. There's a lot that's going to go into us figuring out how to make something like this work. We do not advocate for anyone trying to, like, rush into this. So that was 1972. So they took 18 years of further research and so then in 1990, the first uh, clinical gene therapy trial was launched. It was for a four-year-old girl named Ashanti De Silva, and she went underwent a 12-day program to treat a rare genetic disease known as severe combined autoimmune deficiency. And so the I understand why people are freaked out about gene therapy. The idea that you go into your genes, the thing that make you a human being and fuck around with them is frightening. I get it. I understand why people are like, this is a really slippery slope in lots of ways. Like, and the idea that you can then edit people's genes out. Does that leave us in like a Gattaca type world where like everybody is designed genetically going into it? Like there's a lot of questions about gene therapy and the ethics of it, but like, this example, I think, of uh, Ashanti De Silvia, a, a four-year-old with like a horrific autoimmune disease, is a great example of the way that gene therapy is used in a really good way. And I think in a very... Um, I, I don't think that it's bad to edit horrors out of people's lives. If you're born and you are experiencing this horrific condition, I think that it's we should be doing everything to make people's lives easier in that case they didn't ask for this and if if asked i'm certain all of them are like yeah get this the fuck out of me i would much rather not have to like live in a bubble and be horrified of infection every moment of my life especially as like a fucking four-year-old so i i understand the caution about it but uh, in 1990 they had this it was successful she went through she now lives a life normally she doesn't have to worry about having this like autoimmune dysfunction all the time like it, it worked for her and so they continued on with a lot like 70 different clinical trials at the same time this is all in 1990 but then within a year they had their first death during a clinical trial oh i'm sorry not within a year within 10 years so 1999 the first recorded death of a patient during a clinical trial happened Everyone flipped out because it was the first time that someone having their genes interacted with directly dies during a program. And so it changed the face of genotherapy kind of forever. All The program that he was a part of was shut down. And then the other 69 uh, clinical trials that were running were all shut down and investigated, basically, and had to like earn their way back into operating as a functioning clinical trial. It wasn't until 2003 that China approved the first gene therapy for head and neck cancer. At this time, it still wasn't allowed in the United States at that level. In 2011, Russia approved the first one for a peripheral artery disease. And then in 2012, it was like the floodgates reopened. It was like people realized, 
oh, this yes, it's frightening. And it is really tragic that this man, Jesse, died. This 18-year-old died because of the gene therapy that he was receiving. He underwent a like, cataclysmic immune system shock from the gene therapy, basically. But that's also what happens when you treat cancer. Like, you're not guaranteed these mm-hmm. perfect results. That's the whole idea of these clinical trials. Like, it's really fucked up to say because it's human experimentation. But that is how you figure out how medical therapy works and that it immediately shut down after this one death is very telling of the way that people still feel about the efficacy of working inside people's genes but now there are the united states is like fucking all about gene therapy i think they've like kind of seen the light on if we don't get on this train we'll be behind the rest of the world lol as though we're not in many other things but at least in this we like <laughs> kind of understand that we need to be doing this so the US now approves 20 to 25 gene therapy trials every year and predicts that they'll continue doing that all the way through like 2025 basically where the funding is going so it's part of what they're i think what freaks people out is that there will be this idea that you can like genetically alter out things like down syndrome and diabetes like those are life altering genetic disorders or diseases whatever you want to refer to them as but they're not so severe that we should not let those lives exist and like that is where that uh debate really gets started is like what's an appropriate thing in the future to be able to edit out of our genetic code and like it is a conversation that we will continue to have forever. So part of where the, the research is going is into things like the head and neck cancer, into artery diseases, into things that are like, here's an organ I can point at. And it's definitely better to have this work properly. And so that I think is the direction that things will start to go in as well of like, I can point at this very specific thing and that's okay. And like that's starting to open up the doors to things that are more related to it. The next frontier for genome therapy is eyes, which I think is fucking fascinating because the eye is a closed system. And so if you can figure out how to fix the genes inside of an eye, it will crack open other codes too. It's just so fascinating to think like there are people working to change cataracts that you that they can just stop it. They can just end it by doing genome therapy. It's just fascinating the way that it works. So the way that it physically works is... You take a viral vector, which is a tool that's uh, used to put things inside of genes. It's basically how a vaccine works. A viral vector is you introduce the genes into this virus, basically, and then you inject it into a person's body. And because viruses have evolved in order to... Their process of injecting their own genetic code into a person's DNA has evolved over millennia to make viruses what they are. That's why when you get sick, they can grow and become super viruses afterwards because your genetic code is like rewriting around it. And so they use that technology of the viral infestation of your body to send out these genomes out. So with Ashanti De Silvia, what they did is they took a copy of the gene that was not producing correctly and the virus spreads it all through her body and creates this fake copy of this gene that now exists artificially inside of her. And so that's how it's working. And I guess <laughs> that's how it's supposed to work in Time Traveler's Wife is that he's identified this chronogene and is using this viral vector in order to put a correct functioning gene into Elba, which is, I guess, presumably making it easier for her to control 
the spontaneous nature of the time travel. Again, never explained in the movie, but from the way that learning about the genome therapy works, that's what I'm led to believe is what is supposed to be happening with her. So there, I'm sure that was kind of confusing, so sorry about that, but like that's the very surface level of what gene therapy looks like. So there you go. That was my sort of adventure river of gene therapy. <laughs> wow. It's very interesting. It's a really interesting topic, and it's, yeah. it's so strange that it's just like thrown into this movie which is already yep, very strange lost over yeah totally <laughs> it's very bizarre <laughs> yeah this whole movie was this whole story i know is very bizarre i was looking i was looking into just the time traveler's wife's story itself and about you know uh audrey neffenegger who mm -hmm. wrote it um looks like it was published in 2003 mm -hmm. um when she wrote it she was frustrated in love when she began and wrote the story as a metaphor for her failed relationships. And I'm like, huh. Well, that explains why she connected so, with the ex-girlfriend so hard. <laughs> yeah. Damn. It's, uh, I, uh, what a I wonder sad way if to, she's... What a, what a sad analogy to write about your life that it's destined that you'll always be with this person who like destroys your fucking life. That's exactly what I thought, too. <laughs> wow. Ugh. I mean, uh, not wrong. That is love. You do, like, voluntarily decide to match up with somebody and, like, destroy your lives together. That's, like, the whole deal. But it's, like, in a fun romantic way <laughs> and not in a my baby's gonna time travel out of my fucking uterus way. Like, I feel like so the stakes are different in this one. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's good that you and Michael don't have to worry about time traveling uteruses. <laughs> so. Right? I would... When he suggests, like, we, you know, what we could have also done a, a maybe a good edutainment would have been like adoption or like a short deep dive in, or like a yeah. shallow dive into the process of adoption. When he suggests, like, we could adopt, and she's like, no, I, I want to be a mother. Like, first of all, bitch, that's adoption. Yeah, right? You are a mother. If you adopt a child, you are their mother. Like, shut the fuck up, first of all. But then she's like, can't I just have this one thing? I just want this one normal thing in my life. Like, no. You you signed up for this. Ah. You fucking signed up for this bullshit. Yeah. And like, no, you can't have one normal thing. Your husband fucking time travels. <laughs> like, yeah. just adopt. Like, uh, uh. But also that take, like, from that character in this movie, produced by Brad Pitt, is an interesting take. This was produced <laughs> by Brad Pitt? I did not know that. Brad Pitt takes yeah, where's very the... interesting projects. Like... He was also the executive producer of Moonlight, which I also feel like at the time I was like, really? Not, yep. not in like a bad way, but in like, a, oh, interesting. I feel that way knowing this. Like, why, why this? Here we go. When the novel debuted, uh, Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt's production company, Plan B Entertainment, optioned the movie. Wow. Before it was even published. So just Damn. knowing what it's about, they just took it. I mean, I get it. It's a really interesting story. Like, I can understand how as a production house, you'd be like, I don't care. We can make that work. Like, even if we just have to loosely adapt, like, that that's a great story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they certainly did work on it. <laughs> they certainly did. They certainly did. Uh, oh, man. I, I think it's hilarious that this is going to be the movie that Ben hates the most this season. <laughs> like... <laughs> There are some others which may or may not have aired at this point that I think other people will hate more. And yet Ben's out here like, worst movie. This is the worst movie. 
<laughs> I mean, I like that we were all we at the beginning, like, yeah, rom-coms. Yeah, yeah. We, we can get down on some rom-com. <laughs> we did not understand. We did not get down on no. a rom-com. <laughs> a rom yeah, trash? I, mean, I don't know. I don't, how would you? <laughs> uh, rom I tragedy? Wish... Rom... <laughs> Life-ruining mm. uh, romantic encounters? <laughs> Eddie? Yeah, I, I'm going to... I'm gonna stick with cautionary tale. Cautionary. Like, if there's, yeah, because <laughs> if you if you watch this and take anything away other than uh, don't spend your life waiting, then maybe go see a therapist. You know what? Go see a therapist anyway. Just, go see a therapist anyway. Everyone should just for go sure see a therapist. But uh, yes, if you're taking away that this is a romantic story, you should definitely talk to your therapist about that. Yeah, this is a sad 100%. ass story. Yeah, it's almost like uh, 500 Days of Summer in that way, where a lot of people took away the wrong message from 500 Days of Summer. Yes. You know, even um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt acknowledges that, no, Tom is not right. Tom is an idiot. Yeah. Like. Yes. Yeah. So make sure (laughs) that you take away the right message from the time traveler's wife if you decide to watch it after listening to us talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I hope at this point you're like, I just have to see this train wreck. I must know what this insane bullshit is. (laughs) Yeah. Get ready. (laughs) And if that's the road, if that's the road you want to take, then the drinking game will probably help. (laughs) Yeah, for real. (laughs) Uh, Again, I highly recommend the book. I really enjoyed the book. I thought it was very good. It's yeah, just, the book sounds a lot more interesting. Espe- it, oh God! Like <laughs> once you said that he went back in time to blow himself, I'm just like, wow. It, uh, yeah, I think it really changes the way that you see these characters when you understand, like, much like they show not Elba obviously going back to blow herself. That'd be super weird. But like Elba going back to instruct herself <laughs> and like be a part of her life, because mm-hmm. like you get that very first scene where he shows up and is like. Henry, I'm you. Do you understand? Like, no, bitch, I don't under. What do you mean? Of course I don't understand. And then that's, like, not addressed that he, like, learns to, like, be better about that. Yeah. The book handles that in ways that are much better. And again, you can't make a movie that's exactly like a book. It would be fucking enormously long. Like, I almost feel like this book would have been, now, today, would be adapted as, like, a limited event series. It it feels like it would... I feel like you would be able to care a lot more about each of the characters when you get more, like with the book, you get more time to understand some of the choices that they're making. Whereas in this, it's just like, what the fuck? (laughs) Really? Yeah. Really? This is, this is what, you're right, parents. You did not prepare her for the real world. You're right, Henry's dad. Henry's fucking crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The only thing Henry learned in this movie was how to be a better thief. (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> he does get a little better at that. He yeah. does get better at that. And at least he, even, he, he, teaches, he teaches his daughter how to break into places. Yeah, I was going to say, at least he's a better dad in the sense that he taught her how to do that. And she didn't have to like organically learn how to break into something. That's true. He does get better about that. And again, in the book, he gets better about time travel in that when he realizes that he's dying and he's drawn into these gravity points of his wife's future, he does set up this like really beautiful gift for her going forward. But then again, not in the movie. <laughs> not addressed at all in the movie. Oh. Very, very weird blind spot that could have been very easily included at the end. But wasn't. I also, I, I have a question. Yes. And I'm glad okay. that they didn't address it or linger on it. But I wonder if the book did. Mm-hmm. So Alba 
also time travels mm -hmm. in the same way that her father does. Yes. Does this mean that there's like a little girl showing up just buck naked in the past? Mm -hmm. Oh, God, that's, I don't know. that's so much worse. I don't know that they like go into it specifically in the book, but yes, it's that's what happens to her is that she time travels naked and it's not addressed in the movie at all. Because every time we see her, she's like fully clothed, which is great. Thank you for that choice. But mm -hmm. yeah, we don't address how she finds clothes. I'm assuming which, much ugh. like with Henry, I bet Claire just leaves them out like that. That must be a thing that they just do that they leave both a small girl's set of clothing and a large man's set of clothing out in case they appear like that. They must come to that uh, understand. She un comes to that understanding at some point at the very end. He says that too. He's like, Oh, you're you're 10 and your mom still leaves out clothes for me. Like that, that is surprising to him in that sense. But also like, I guess I would too. If from a child, you've learned to leave out time traveler clothes, like, and you know that your daughter time traveled out of your uterus at least at one point you're like well she definitely can do this like i guess you would just leave clothes out that's like here are clothes from when you were a child and a toddler and a teenager just in case <laughs> whenever you, you, just, you just need like a whole wardrobe sitting in the woods mm -hmm. in a couple places yeah exactly it's like here i hung these <laughs> up for you elba wherever you're coming from like yeah it's it is definitely worse that there is a woman who then grows up and is just like spontaneously naked all over the place like that seems way more dangerous not addressed not you know she can control it it's fine okay great <laughs> whatever oh oh actually let me just let me just share this real quick because when he goes back and you see him in the woods and he gets shot right mm -hmm. i thought for a split second that he shot himself because his I dad did too. yeah mm -hmm. Because yes. the, the father-in-law talks about taking him hunting eventually. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I figured on that day he accidentally shoots himself. But Yes, I feel like I agree. I feel like it would be a much more interesting choice if he... Because in this, it's implied that like the dad shoots him thinking that he's hitting the deer. But it would make yep. more sense. And in the book, what happens is that he appears in this bush and it's... I. It's kind of more like they're sh skeet shooting and he like understands that he's shooting a person because he thinks he's like a naked intruder, basically. And so like that makes a little more sense. But in the context of this movie, Henry being bad at shooting and accidentally shooting himself, I think would make more sense. But instead, it's just guns are bad. Don't go hunting, which like guns are bad yeah. sometimes. But like hunting is a different experience and like... It also felt weird that this movie took such a hard stance on hunting, like very anti-hunting, was not into hunting. And like, I'm not a yep. hunter. I don't personally hunt because I'm not into that. But like, I have family that does who hunt for food and that's, they use like the whole parts of the animal. Like, that's fine. I understand that. Like, make a, if you're going to say he's like a trophy hunter. Okay. Yeah. Make that mm. argument. That's a very different thing than like, he lives in the South and he goes hunting. Like, it just felt like a very, I'm from Chicago and I don't like hunting. It was just weird. Like, again, as a not hunter, I felt that way. I was like, this is really aggressive. <laughs> this is a really strange choice for this movie to make. This movie had a lot of strange takes on uh, adoption and hunting <laughs> and healthy relationships. <laughs> right. So, you know. Uh, yeah also like his gomez and his wife and their kids are also in this bullshit drama like they're stuck in the cycle because they know that these people time travel yeah. and they're just like it's just like a thing in their lives that and like that is not addressed <laughs> that just like never gets brought up that like cool they just deal with this great 
Okay. Yep. So if you have any thoughts on the time traveler's wife uh, and the ridiculousness <sighs> that was just in this movie, feel free to join in the conversation uh, using the hashtag time to party. That is the number two. You can find me on the internet on Instagram at NYD And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at bsilverio20. I'm at the indecisionist on Instagram and indecisionist on Twitter. Special thanks to April Moralba for our podcast art and to Marlon Longid of Marlon and the Shakes for our fabulous theme music. This has been an indecisionist production. <sighs> Join us next time. Yeah, spontaneously time travel to us next time, everybody. <laughs> I can't stop making spontaneous time travel <laughs> jokes. It's just so fucking. I like the concept too. Oh, I like that's the weirdest thing is I like the concept. I like it makes sense that he appears naked like in Terminator. It's like I get it. It's just fucking weird. It's real fucking weird. Uh, I can't stop talking about it. <laughs> can't well, stop talking about it. <laughs> when they inevitably remake this into a Netflix series, hopefully they consult us first. For real, I'm here. I'm ready. <laughs> Audrey Deffinger, I yeah. agree with you. They should include the ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Just go there. Our Good. inboxes are waiting. Get fucking dark. <laughs> also cast me as the ex-girlfriend. <laughs> so until Netflix or Hulu or Amazon can uh, put their money where their mouth is, be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. Wherever in time it finds you. Yeah. Air guitar! <laughs> 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 <laughs>